I'm Steve. And I'm Byron. And, and we, we are... Old Guys, guys Bitching! Wow. Okay, we got it together on the last one. We, okay. it, we didn't have harmony, though. <laughs> Bitching! Uh, okay, now, a couple of weeks ago, well, yes. last week, we talked about how we could not remember your, your tease at the uh, the end of our show before last. So uh, let's see. We're going to play Name That Tune. And I don't know if this is going to work, but here we go. Name that tune. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. You got it! And that's only uh, 92 notes, okay. Specifically, <laughs> that's the overture. Yes, it is. Yes. Wow. Is it, was that <laughs> what we were talking about? That is what we were talking about. It that was, fabulous oh, I, show. You know why? I, I saw it. I was in junior high when that, that show opened on Broadway. And I saw it in a preview. And I went back to my class and was raving about it. And we would go uh, to a Broadway show. We, we, we decided, our homeroom class or something, decided we would all you know pay up and we'd take a field trip to go see a Broadway show. And it was between that and Man of La Mancha and I don't remember what the third one was, but everybody voted for It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. So I went home and I told my parents, okay, the class is going to see It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. So I need money for the ticket. And they went, no. I went, what? They said, you've seen it already. I said, I know I've seen it, but the whole class is going. This is a class field trip. Well, no. No, because you, you've seen it. And I didn't think that was fair, so I went to school the next day, and I came home, and I said, uh, we re-voted, and we're going to see Man of La Mancha. And it was, okay, we'll give you the money for that. So they but gave of course the money. you were actually going to see. We, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. <laughs> Unfortunately, because I used the Man of La Mancha ruse, I could never get money to go see that. Oh, man. So I missed out seeing that in its original Broadway run. It was very oh, frustrating. Well, but ex- I loved extra it. Points. Is... I was hmm? going to say extra points. If you can remember the name of the theater where It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman played. Oh, I want to say The Majestic, but I don't think it was The Majestic. Wasn't The Majestic. Okay, chance number two. Um, um, let's see. Where where did that play? Um, I can't. I, I don't know. I, I give up. Well, you see, on the album cover, the uh, the back of the album cover they did is kind of a mock-up as the, of the Daily Planet. And they mentioned the theater name. It was the Alvin. Oh, of course. The Alvin. I remember it fondly. Does that still exist? I, I, you know, I think it's the Neil Simon, unless it's uh, some new car- incarnation now. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I mean that's just rude. They just changed. I don't know who Alvin was. I thought <laughs> I thought they named this theater after a chipmunk, but I, I so I'm sure there was a a real Alvin person who it was named after. But just changing theater names to somebody else, like didn't they change the Helen Hayes to something else? 
Uh, yeah, everything changes constantly now. So it's it like, used, oh, it well, we don't be... remember who that is anymore, so we'll just rename the theater. Yeah, it used to be, you know, those theaters kept their names constantly. But now the Little Theater, which was formerly what the Henry James Theater, is now something else. And that's what it is. It's the something else theater. That's what they, they ran out of names. <laughs> so we so, can bitch about that. You said you had notes now that you have named I, that tune. I do have notes. I, I have an, one thing that really got me. Do you know who John Meacham is? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah the political writer. Yeah, yeah Well, he's a, he's a historian, and he's mm-hmm. an excellent writer, and he's an excellent commentator. And if you've seen him, he's been on MSNBC and CNN. He's been on uh, Real Time with Bill Maher. Um, and he's a very well-spoken guy. He's very, uh, he's very erudite. And, and um, he's also a very funny when he wants to be. He can be very humorous. But he's got a book out right now, which I really would love to read. Um, and of course, I don't have the name of the book in front of me. But the, the title of this, the article about it uh, was in the New York Times today, on this day that we're recording. And the headline was, Think Things Look Bad in This Country Right Now? We've Been Here Before, Meacham says. And he's got this book out that, that talks about all the different ad- administrations before where people thought the country was in deep doo-doo and was on the verge of collapsing. Well, of course, there was what, Woodrow Wilson, Calvin Coolidge, uh, Andrew Johnson. Exactly. Yeah. and, and that's Betsy it. Buchanan. Mm-hmm. Who? Betsy Buchanan. Oh, wait, no, James <laughs> Buchanan, but he was probably our only uh, drag queen president, and so... <laughs> They referred to him as Betsy in the White House. That's why Herbert Hoover had, I mean, Herbert Hoover, uh, uh, J. Edgar Hoover had a picture of him in his office. Of course. Okay, tank that <laughs> joke. Um, the, uh, But no, I mean, you're exactly right. And those are some of the presidents that he has cited and that he cites in his book talking about uh, they were, they were, thugs they were uh, misogynists they were they were racists they they were everything bad you can think of um and now we have a president who combines those all together in one one president well, you know, um, you have just made uh, James Buchanan look better and better. Uh, maybe we could get uh, the current president a nice evening gown. <laughs> you know what? I even I even like the fact that that George W. Bush, who is not exactly regarded as one of our best presidents, actually said that um, Trump is making him look good. Yes, he is. And did you think that would be possible in our lifetimes? I did not. I I did not. But what I like about Meacham says is there is room for hope. That uh, he says it's it's not false optimism. He said we still have to remain vigilant, but that we've been in crises, crises, presidencies before, and we've survived them. The only yeah, thing have. is, I don't know that there has ever been a president before who has seemed so determined to attack and destroy all of our precious government institutions. I don't either. Now, that is the thing that I believe is unique about this presidency, is that there seems to be a determination to run this whole thing like a, a mafia don, quoting James Coney. Coney. Right. 
right? Yeah, and and now even with his as as we record this, he Trump was demanding today. He put it in a tweet yesterday that he was going to do this, but he's been demanding today that the Justice Department investigate uh, whether the FBI FBI infiltrated his presidential campaign at the behest of Obama. Yeah, and you know we. Both you know and I know that that's not true. But we also remember the late 60s and 1970s uh, when, I mean, I was working in the early 1970s for the Bureau of Outdoor uh, Recreation, which is part of the, oh, what is that? Uh, the Environmental, it's not the Protection Agency, it's something the, the, else. The Interior <laughs> Department. Thank you. I okay. knew, knew, you know, there goes my mind again. But... <laughs> But, you know, when you go out, I go in. I don't know. When I would pick up my office phone to just call somebody else in the office, immediately there would be a secondary click. So I would talk to to the FBI agent on the line and just say, aren't you better than this? How did you get put in a tiny little room to listen to my phone calls? What did you do to deserve this? And I always hoped that maybe somebody would appear in my office, you know, disguised as, oh, a a janitor or something and explain to me that everybody has a job to do and they can't always enjoy it. Well, well, you know, that's the funny thing is when we were in in college age years uh, back in the late 60s, early 70s, we had this incredible distrust of government. We well, knew yeah. that government was infiltrating um, any of our peace protest groups or anything like that, uh, and that they had spies on campus. In fact, I knew one, one guy in my dorm who was always an odd guy. Anyway, he would walk around without a shirt on, and he looked like he was wearing a sweater. You know, one of those guys. <laughs> well, I, I, I used to say, I, I swear, he's he's the human incarnation of Fred Flintstone. Oh, Because that's what he Christ. looked like. But he was in college. You know, he was supposedly the same age as us. And then one night, he calls me into his room, his dorm room, and he, he says, come here, i got to show you something. He was obviously <laughs> three sheets to the wind. And he calls me into his room, and he pulls out a book. And I go, "What? what is that? He said, it's it, uh, dossiers on all the student leaders. I go, yeah, right. He says, I've got you, too. I go, what? Oh, good. <laughs> I, was, I was program director at the radio station, and he shows me this whole thing. It had all financial reports from my family, and it had information about a trust fund that my, my grandmother left to me according to this thing and I call my parents the next day it was a little too late then and uh, I said oh so I've got x amount of dollars in the bank huh you didn't tell me about and they go what how do you know that I said some guy in my dorm told me whoa and he had information about my family I didn't know um and he then he told me he worked for army intelligence you know, which is the greatest oxymoron of all time. <laughs> Army, Army <laughs> Military intelligence, intelligence yeah. But yes. yeah, but but he had all this information. And of course, being a good um, young hippie <laughs> in that day, I immediately went and exposed him to the student board 
uh, the next day, student government, and they kicked him off because he had a position on it. And then he claimed that uh, he, that he quit army intelligence, but he stayed in school. But after that, nobody would talk to him because nobody well, trusted not. him. Of course, now that that was still under the Jedger Hoover era. Yes, Li Lily and, Tomlin used to uh, announce on Laugh In as her uh, character Ernestine working for the phone <laughs> company. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that was a time that uh, the government did spy on people. But well, I think following that era, uh, they cut it out. Uh, well, you know, you know for the we most had, part. You know. At the time, we had President Nixon. And Nixon was famous for his enemies list, which I was told by this same guy in my dorm that I was on the enemies list being a student leader. And I wore that with, as a badge of pride. You know, I said, wow, I'm on Nixon's enemy list. I don't know if I was, um, it, you know, and I, what kind of an enemy was, was I? I couldn't even, uh, you know, get people in my dorm to do anything, let alone in the country. Well, but jumping, was... jumping back to the uh, my position at the Department of Interior, thank you for the reminder, uh, <laughs> Bureau of Outdoor Rec uh, Recreation, when I was hired, uh, there was some guy, well, I, I can tell you his name. His name was Dave Brown. Wait a minute, that's suspicious. That's too normal. <laughs> that is way too normal. But anyway, his name was uh, Dave Brown, and he was uh, uh, his assistant was a guy named Curtis uh, Slovakiak or something. No. Yeah, that's way too normal. Uh, but anyway, they started this program with me, and another guy who has passed on, his name's Kenny Gurley, and then this beautiful young woman who is now a beautiful older woman named Tony Jones. And, is she single? Uh, uh, no, no. She was she was grabbed up a long time ago. She was too beautiful to last. God. But um, we were all in charge of different uh, efforts. Uh, I was in charge of uh, proposed national park entertainment for young people. Uh, Kenny was in charge of creating uh, a uh, jobs program within the Bureau of Outdoor Recreation for young people. And uh, Tony was in charge of uh, like image creation for these programs. Now, um, for young people, for young people. Uh, but we Immediately, all, that's not trustworthy. <laughs> we we all, we all kind of struggled around, and I went to a meeting with Dave and Curtis and said, what do you guys want me to do? And they said, oh, well, you've been in plays. Why don't we look at putting plays in the national park system? So I, I didn't know exactly how that could be done, so I actually picked up the phone and called Joe Papp at the public theater because he had like this flatbed trailer that would go around to parks and do performances. And I talked to Mr. Papp. He was actually very cordial and wanted to be helpful. And uh, he sent me uh, all of the specs on how to do a, a rolling stage like that. So I presented that. Everybody seemed cool with it. And then they said, well, what kind of place do you want? And I said, well, what kind of place do you want? And they said, oh, thinking broadly, Broadway plays. 
So I selected some stuff that I thought might work, given the, uh, the size of that flatbed and whatnot. And I selected a play that I'd always wanted to do, but I, I thought, well, it's only one set. It's only one set, so it could be done. And maybe we could just have like a small band in front, instead of a full orchestra, even though the cast is enormous. So, uh, hi, Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy, calm down. <laughs> Don't get too excited. This story gets boring really fast if it hasn't already. Any, anyway, so I can't remember what the other show selections were, but that one was... 1776. I love that show. Of course you do. But, you know, that was the one show that they said absolutely not because it was considered too subversive. I said, wait a minute, it's about the Founding Fathers. And they said, yes, but uh, when we ran this up the chain, they said it was about the left-leaning Founding Fathers. I said, oh, you mean the ones who actually got this done, not the ones who quit? And they said, uh, yeah. Well, you know, when they did the film version of 1776, Jack Warner made them cut. It was done for Warner Brothers, obviously. And Jack Warner made them cut one of, one of the big numbers in the show called Cool, Considerate Men. But they did film it anyway. And it they filmed it. And it, yes, you can see it now. Uh, they do air it on TV now. And you, of course, get it on the DVD, Blu-ray, whatever. But at the time... He made them cut it from the movie because Nixon didn't like it or something and thought it was too uh, critical of, of conservatives. Well, Nixon was the president when I was doing this project with the uh, Bureau of Outdoor Recreation. So I have no doubts that that uh, too subversive comment came from on high. Not necessarily Ricky Dicky, but uh, it came from, from higher up. But probably so. Now I, you know, actually I have a, a Joe Pap story too because oh, cool. I, when uh, my last year in college, in my first year out of college, I and a couple of buddies wrote a musical version of Julius Caesar, of Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. Now we did it originally as like a goof because we did it. We had a, a, a Shakespeare professor who every day had to remind us that I'm from Yale. I'm from Yale. <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, we don't care. You know, and uh, one day, you know, we got it, I got into an argument with her about um, a particular line in the show. And she said, this is what it means. And I go, well, well wait a minute. Uh, that's not the way I take it. But I'm from Yale. I, I don't care if you're from Yale. I'm a theater student, and we are taught to question everything. So I don't think that's what the line means. Said, well, it does. I know. I'm telling you that's what it means. I said, how do you know? I Did, did you know Shakespeare personally? And she didn't like that. The whole class laughed, but, but she didn't take it very kindly. She ended up giving me a D in the class. She couldn't fail me because I wasn't flunking anything, but she did give me a D. But... Um, but we said, okay, let's, at, at the time, actually, there were a ton of shows of Shakespeare plays being made into musicals. You had your own thing, and uh, of course you had West Side Story before that, and uh, what else? Help me. But, uh, two, was, two, two Gentlemen, uh, two gentlemen of, Verona. of Verona, right. And uh, so we said, well, let's, let's do, make something into a musical that's ridiculous. 
And um, now I'm I'm sorry we didn't do Titus and Andronicus, which would have been fun with the pie eating scene. Um, but the uh, we did do uh, Julius Caesar, and we actually made a uh, recording of it. We did like a uh, like a like a backers audition, and people loved it and thought it was great. And people encouraged us to, to send it to Joe Papp, so I did. I sent it to Joe Papp. And then I was out of college and I got cast in Summerstock and I went off to Summerstock and I told my partners, I said, okay, stay in touch with Pep and because we submitted it to him and see what he says, you know, and because maybe we can get a production going. And I went off to the, uh, the woods of Pennsylvania to do Summerstock. And um, of course, we didn't have cell phones in those days I had, or computers, so I had no way to contact them. And when I got back, I said, uh, okay, what happened with Pap? And they, oh, we never called him. Oh, man. So I called his office to see, okay, you know, we had some minutes up, well, he's lost interest. Because he doesn't oh, think geez. you're serious, you know, so it's like, okay, we blew that one. We might have had an actual production of this thing. Oh boy! Well, you mentioned another play that uh, that caught my attention because um, I think it was either last year or the year before a, a theatrical director and theater manager that I know uh, put up a show that just uh, kind of rocked things in Vegas, and it uh, then got taken to L.A. and, and ran for uh, a limited number of performances. It's about a middle school teacher who is going through a rather contentious divorce uh so as he's considering plays for his middle school uh, students to do he decides that they should do titus andronicus the the, the name of this show is called titus andronicus jr oh no <laughs> and you know it's a play on all of those junior versions of uh, of musicals that the uh, leasing companies are doing these days but it was exceptionally well done the kids were wonderful i'm just surprised that parents actually let their kids do any version of titus andronicus oh my god that's awful <laughs> have you have you ever seen speaking of titus andronicus because now that you brought it up there was a an old vincent price movie called theater theater of blood. of blood yes of course an awesome film and actually it's a a horror comedy and it is it, he happens to play this maniacal hammy actor who is killing all these former critics who denied him some award and but he's killing them each by a certain shakespearean play Oh, yes, I believe Diana Rigg is in that, doesn't yes, she? Play his, plays his, his daughter. Uh, yeah. Plays his daughter. And, oh, I, that was a spoiler alert. Uh-oh. <laughs> you don't know that at the beginning. Uh, but he does kill, Robert Morley played this very fey critic with these two poodles or something that he adored. And uh, so Vincent Price, and he, the guy's like a, a gourmand, you know, he's just got to eat everything. So, so... Vincent Price shows up as this great celebrity chef on TV or something and makes him this special dish. And he's, he's oh, this is wonderful. This is delicious. What is it? You know, and he pulls up the, the lids on, on the serving trays and there's the heads of the two dogs. Of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, 
The other thing you mentioned was uh, your difficulties with your Yale professor. You know, it, it's amazing how much that goes around. My my daughter really knows more about Shakespeare than I think I could ever learn. She studied it intensely from the uh, the time she was about, um, oh, 12 years old till uh, well into her 20s. And uh, she she just absorbed it. She seems to know everything. In fact, the, uh, the play that kind of got her started on that, despite the fact that I was involved in theater, was uh, a Lincoln Center version of the Comedy of Errors. It started the flying Karamazov brothers, but it, cert- it certainly... <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah, it certainly caught her attention at age five, and uh, she would ask for uh, various Shakespeare uh, play scripts, and eventually I just bought her the, the entire collection. But uh, when she was in uh, in high school, I think she was maybe a sophomore in high school, she came to me and she was very angry that her teacher had been very disrespectful to her and i can't i can't remember the play i can't remember anything about it but as she as my daughter explained what had happened it seems that the uh teacher was grossly mispronouncing the elizabethan language so i i first uh just sent a note i didn't want to have a big confrontation just sent a note just saying oh um by the way, uh, my daughter has studied this since she was uh, like 12 years old, and I've studied it my entire life. I actually had a college instructor from Royal Shakespeare Company. and uh, But not class- Yale. They're not Yale. Uh, although my daughter's uh, instructors were all e- Eli's or however you call them. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, it was just sort of a gentle note saying that um, – my daughter's pronunciations were correct. I didn't directly call the teacher out and say that hers were wrong. And then I got this super nasty note back from that teacher. <laughs> See, that that's one of those things that drives me crazy. It's like I can understand a teacher being adamant about something being right if it's a given thing, like a chemistry equation or a math equation. I mean, there's no arguing that. That's proven science or proven math and and you factual. You can't change that. But when it comes to the interpretation of written material, um, that's open for discussion. Uh, Yeah, it is. It's been done. They've been, they, you know, uh, uh, scholars have been debating the meanings of Shakespeare's work since the 1600s. And look at all the incarnations, the various and sundry things. One of the most brilliant productions of Hamlet that I've seen was done by uh, the RSC, and it starred uh, David Tennant as Hamlet and Patrick Stewart as Claudius, and it was presented uh, contemporarily, you know, in, in a contemporary setting, as if there were surveillance cameras everywhere, and uh, there, thereby Claudius and uh, uh, Polonius didn't have to hide behind an, an heiress. They were observing via surveillance camera, it, and it really, really worked. It, it gave you a wonderful sense of paranoia with that particular production, which 
uh, wouldn't have been possible a hundred years ago when other effective productions were done with other dazzling actors. Well, uh, Ian McKellen did a film version. Was it Richard the Second or Richard the Third? I think. Uh, I think it was the second, actually. I think it was Richard the Second, and he was he, he did it like it was Nazi, uh, a Nazi Germany-like yes. atmosphere, and it was brilliant. It was it was very well done. I did a production of Richard the Third in college, and our professor had this and director had this brilliant idea that Richard III was like Charles Manson. Mm, mm -hmm. And he made us read the book, uh, The Family. I mm -hmm. think that was the name of the book. And we had to find our characters in this book. And then he didn't want us to wear... He, he tried to do it very stylized. So we had polyester slacks and these weird shirts that had kind of bloused sleeves. And he didn't let anybody do... British accents. We had to do it, you know, straight, like contemporary English as as much as possible. Um, there are the, the two women in the two lead women in the cast did speak with British accents uh, against his uh, direction, and they were the only ones who got decent reviews when we did it. The play was so bad; it was just so awful that. Um, we had a, 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 a noted Shakespearean actor named Morris Karnofsky. Oh, I, in I remember him. At yes. school, yes, and I studied with him briefly. And uh, of course, he was invited to see the show. He walked out and quit. Oh, jeez! It was so bad. And I, I always said um, my character, um, Lord Grey, died. We did it in three acts, and I died at the beginning of Act Two which was great because the only smart thing the director did was not put in a curtain call. So <laughs> as soon as I finished, I could leave the theater. And it was always odd to me that I'd run into half the audience at the same time, <laughs> leaving along with me. It was god-awful. Well, you know, of late, I'm saying this, I, I love, because that's actually a Shakespearean phrase, of late, um, productions of Julius Caesar have been highly criticized. There was one at the... Uh, uh, Kennedy Center, and uh, then one in London's West End. I'm not sure who did it, but uh, they were doing the uh, the show as uh, in modern dress, and uh, they had Caesar in a, an ill-fitting baggy black suit with a tie, red tie that went below his waist. Oh, I, that was done at wasn't? Did you say that Central Park? Uh, I believe they probably did it at Central Park. I think as it well. was done yeah. at Central Park, and I remember they had protests, and they had because all these Trump supporters showed up yelling at them, and it was it was a nightmare. But that's it for this edition of Old Guys, Guys Pitching. Pitching. I'm I'm Byron. What? I said I'm Byron. You are. But so, no, wait. I'm, I'm Steve. Byron. Oh no. Oh wait. <laughs> Wait, no, you are Byron. I'm Steve. Oh, okay. Now we got it straight. We will get this all figured out by next time on Old, Old Guys, Guys Bitching. Bitching. We're going to play Name That Tune again. <laughs> <laughs>